You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Uh, last week uh, was really a tutorial. Y'all go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6. If you didn't know we were there, then you haven't been to church in the last year. Um, just teasing. Um, we, we talked about, uh, really last week, a tutorial in orthopedic surgery from a spiritual standpoint. Because the word for, for restore in Galatians 6 as in restoring someone who's been caught in sin, is the word, same word used for setting a broken bone. And it's a command, so all believers have an obligation to restore other believers who have been overtaken by sin. Paul says restoration, restoring others, bearing one another's burdens, is the kind of thing spiritual people do, right? When we're led by the Spirit, we have the maturity to deal with sin in others and in ourselves, and every Christian should seek that kind of maturity. And that's really what one anothering is all about. You know, the story's told of uh, General William Booth, who was the founder of Salvation Army, and he couldn't, he was sick one day and couldn't make it to one of their international conventions. And so this was a long time ago. So he cabled in his message that was to be read as his speech, and it was one word, others. And, and that's what we're talking about, right? When we serve others, there is a ricochet effect in our own lives that goes along with the bearing of others' burdens. I remember when I was a kid, I was sitting down in Water Valley, Mississippi with my dad at my Pawpaw Foxes at his dad's home. And we were out in the woods beside the house. He was picking up something. And, and I, I had a one pump Daisy BB gun and I took aim at this tree. And I shot that tree, you know, this is not a high powered rifle here, but you could see the BB come out, right? But it ricocheted off the tree and hit my dad in the back. And I mean, it wasn't until I was older that I realized my dad was flopping and exaggerating like a soccer player, you know what I mean? And, uh, but he was doing that, I guess, to, to keep me, to make sure I was careful. When I got older, I was bitter toward him, but then, uh, <laughs> I think my teenage years were enough to pay him back for that. So, but there are ricocheting effects, good and bad, when we, when we seek to bear others' burdens. And we, we looked at one of those last week, a bad consequence of being tempted. When we go to help restore another, we gotta be careful that we're not tempted and pulled into the, to, to sin as well. But there are other pros and cons, uh, pros and warnings really, in burden bearing, and we hope to see those today. So let's get our calisthenics in and get back up, stand back up in honor of God's word. Galatians 6, we're just going to read verses 1 through 5. We covered verses 1 and 2 last week. These are the words of God more important than anything I'll say today. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And we have the joy of having Jim Camferdam's uh, daughter-in-law and son here today. And I met them when I did the, the wedding for Pam and Jim. And I want to ask Keith to come and share. And Keith, I think you're, you serve at your church with the youth now, I think. Are you a men's pastor now? Men's pastor. Awesome. All right. That's awesome. Pray for let us. Let us pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we love that we get to come to your house and we come worshiping and praising you, Father. Um, it's amazing that this time of the year that we recognize the birth of your son, but we also remember the reason he came, that you felt that we were 
worthy enough of redemption and you sent him to die for us. But he overcame death, he rose and he ascended. And we are so thankful for that. We ask that you forgive us of our sins. We thank you for all our blessings. We ask that you open every heart, mind, and ear this morning as the word you've given Pastor Wind is delivered out in his message and that everybody receives it. Again, we love you and we praise you. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Y'all can be seated. There's always pros and sometimes cons to one anothering, uh, of the one anothering of restoration. Temptation was one of those. But there's another one that Paul mentions in verse 3. Restoration can provoke pretentious pride. And honestly, all pride is pretentious, isn't it? You know, pretentiousness is attempting to impress by implying that I am better, I'm more important, my talents are better, my knowledge is greater, uh, when I really don't actually possess it. Right. So pretentiousness at its core is really hypocrisy, offering up something that I don't possess. Right. My father-in-law says what's in the when what's in the window ain't in the warehouse. Right. And it's 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 when we're what we'll call out of stock. Right. Pretentiousness is thinking you're better than you are. Pride is the pleasure you get from that. The pride of personal achievement. Now, pride is not all bad. Right. It depends on what you're prideful about, unless your personal achievement is pretentiousness, (laughs) feeling spiritually superior to another, implying I'm better than I am and therefore taking pleasure in how good I think I am. Right. And the biblical word for pride is hyperphania, and it means excessive shining (laughs) or self-exaltation. Though the word is not found here explicitly, it is most definitely here in the phrase thinking we're something right one of my mentors and a good brother in christ he's over all the americas now uh, for the imb mission board and uh south america and he was he telling the story of when he was getting his i believe it was his phd it may have been his mdiv but he had to come across the stage you know it's a it's a big deal you know you write tons of papers it's an uh, you know there's some measure of self-gratitude you know there when you get your diploma and he's walking across all stately he's got his black robe he's got his mortar board and his tassel hanging down and his glasses on and he's walking across and he's feeling pretty proud of himself you know (laughs) You know, got another degree, right? And he goes to shake the hand and he grabs his little diploma rolled up with the, with the little, um, you know, the ribbon around it and everything was going good. He's feeling pretty good until he went to step and walk off the stage. And y'all are thinking he fell off. So no, he didn't. He he took his thumb, his glasses had fallen down and he, he took his thumb to scooch his glasses up. Only he forgot that in the same hand he had that diploma. So his diploma knocked his glasses out, his lens fell out, and he's on all fours on the stage in his own graduation, fumbling around trying to find his glasses, which just proves pride really does come before the fall, right? And all of us have have stories, <laughs> uh, I believe, of something like that happening to us. We're, we're prone to think we're something when we're actually nothing. So what does this have to do with restoration? Well, it's the primary hindrance to obeying God's command. Pride is a hindrance to bearing others' burdens. It it fully interferes with restoring, with one anothering, with burden bearing. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. 
In Galatians 6, those who think they're something are the most resistant to bear the burdens of others. Last week, uh, we explained uh, humility is good unless you, you think your flesh prevents you from restoring others, right? So thinking too lowly of yourself can actually paralyze heavenly helping, right? And let me just add to that. There, are, there is false humility in the heart of some Christians, false humility, that says, oh, I could never do that. I'm not worthy to do that. Not because they believe it, because it's their excuse to not serve. <laughs> okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Thinking lowly of ourselves can paralyze us from serving, but the reverse is also true. Thinking too highly of ourselves does the same thing. We're above it. We're too self-sufficient. We're, we're uh, our overinflated opinions of ourselves interfere with our need to bear the burdens of others. And the tragedy, tragedy of it all is the humble believer, the humble sinner, has plenty in the storehouse, but is, is, is too full of guilt to use it. But the prideful sinner ain't got nothing in the storehouse, but thinks he does and still won't use it. <laughs> Didn't matter if he tried, it wouldn't be there. Romans 12 verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Which leads to the second warning of pride relating to bearing the burdens of others. Prideful Christians aren't only out of stock, they're foolish enough to order their own product. Right? The deceivers don't deceive anyone except themselves. And ironically, it's their lack of involvement in service to others that reveals the truth about who they really are. And this, this pride party is most prevalent among legalistic people. If you look in Titus chapter 1, verse 10, it says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. That's the same word used here in Galatians 6, 3. Especially those of the circumcision party. Circumcision party represents all those that are legalistic in Scripture. You've got to do this. You've got to circumcise your kid. You gotta, it's all about rules and regulations. Galatians 6, 3 says, For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And the emphasis here isn't just on the false thinking it's on the true nothing. Our thinking is false and our nothing is true when fully revealed by what I won't do for you. Part of my job as, a, as your pastor, one of your pastors, and as a believer is to remind us that just because we don't think we're in opposition to God doesn't mean we aren't. Our actions often speak otherwise. And so we need to see that deception in our own lives, but not accept it, right? Because we're all sinners in the need of grace and not just for salvation, but for service. So our lack of service may already be showing, right? Sorry, sir, your, your lack of service is showing, <laughs> right? But we don't have to accept that. I mean, we, we, we have to accept the reality of it, but not the finality of it, right? I'm not serving now, but I can be. It's interesting to me that Christians and preachers alike, we always talk about grace and we apply it to salvation, salvation, salvation. But it also is equal in, in motivating us in service to Christ. And one of the greatest threats to our service is our pretentious pride. Which leads to our second main point today. Restoration can provoke pretentious pride. But secondly, restoration can also instigate internal inspection. This is the benefit 
This isn't shooting dad in the back off the tree. This is a good thing. Galatians 6 verse 4 says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And Paul says this right after saying, Bear one another's burdens. That's an odd place to mention this. Test your own work. Well, I, well you're, we're, I thought we were supposed to be testing other people. We're, we're helping them. Well, yeah, because it motivates us to internal inspection. Now, Christians and really all people are notorious for like comparative righteousness, right? We take the word test to mean compare, comparison. And this is a misunderstanding of the verse because first of all, comparison cripples us. Pride and conceit can cripple, right? From, from cripple us from bearing others' burdens, but, but comparison can too. And we've talked about this in past weeks, but comparison is just another disguise of pride. We attribute our success to another's attrition. My promotion by your demotion. One man's junk is another man's treasure. You make, your sin makes me look good, right? So I don't actually have to be good because I'm shining against the backdrop of your depravity. Your failure disguises my faults. Friend, this is the world we're living in. It is raining wickedness and immorality all around us, in our living rooms, on our phones, in our families, at our workplaces, everywhere we go. It's raining wickedness. And it, it just all, you know, wars, shootings, bombings, sickness, shameless, rampant wickedness. And the justice of individuals just gets lost in the downpour and the fray of, of global depravity. We have a family member uh, whose relative was 20 years ago, stalked, raped, and murdered. And, and just this week, I think, uh, they came to justice. 20 years. They knew they were guilty 20 years ago. But the, the courts are so backed up with, tr with tremendous wickedness. Friend, don't get your eye off the ball. Don't be watching the news and, and think, man, I'm doing well. Right? Don't be distracted by the torrential downpour of the sin of others so that you can't see the obvious sin in your own life. Don't let comparison muddy the water of reality in your own life. So comparison cripples, but the benefits of obeying the command to help restore another is that contemplation compels. Galatians 6, 4 says, let each one test his own work. Bearing others' burdens instigates internal inspection, which compels us toward two things. First, personal confession and sanctification. A benefit and part of the way God spiritually made us is of, of, of bearing others' burdens is to be in fellowship and, and relationship, bearing those burdens, revealing sin in one another, uh, walking beside others, uh, discipling others, restoring others. But that requires, you can't do that spiritually without self-reflection. So the act of bearing another's burdens while walking in the Spirit, that's vital to all this, actually produces spiritual growth in my own life, in your life. And it makes us contemplate our own sins. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Right? I mean, he's talking to the church. And he says, hey, you need to check, check yourself before you wreck yourself. You need to check, you need a spiritual checkup. What parent... Uh, when they're asking their kid to watch their mouth, doesn't have a check in their heart about their own. Stop yelling! 
Oh, wait. You know? What genuine believer, when confronting the wrong of another, isn't faced with their own shortcomings? This is, this is actually a good thing. <laughs> this is the way it's meant to be in the accountability of the body of Christ. We hold each other accountable. Yeah, our conversations are a little cleaner when a woman's in the room. Praise God for women, right? You know, like there's, there's an accountability in, in, in numbers and in our own uh, introspection on our, our own lives. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. I mean, in that the, the church is supposed to be just like your family. You know, I mean, we're praying for Carla. Carla has breast cancer. It's no secret to our church. She goes Wednesday to get more information. We're praying. She's getting hugs coming in the door because we are bearing all that burden with her. Right? That's the body of Christ. Not just for comfort, but also for confronting. And this really addresses both sides of the coin. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Right? We have an individual responsibility of our own sin and how that affects the collective responsibility of the whole church. James 5, 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I want you to catch that verse. We're not talking about Catholicism here, confessing to a priest. We're talking about confessing your sins to one another. What does that mean? Well, that sounds kind of weird, right? Church, when I go to confront another person, whether it's to comfort them or to confront them about a sin, if I go confessing my own sins, my own weaknesses, my own failures, I'm actually increasing the spiritual odds, so to speak, that they're going to receive the words I have to say. You know, hey, hey, listen, I've, I've had bumps in my marriage too, man. I just want you to know I'm here for you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to walk with you. I know a guy, and I may have shared this story before, but he was at our church in uh, New Albany. And uh, his, I was the student pastor. His daughter was in our youth group, and he was one of our deacons. And he'd started hitting the, the, the drink pretty hard because he had lost his job. And he was one of these guys that was, a, was a, uh, an accountant without the degree. And his age was in that bracket where when you lose your job, good luck finding another one because they're going to get the new, the new kid out just fresh out of school. And so he was about to lose his house, and he was hitting, he was, he was drinking like a fish. And instead of just booting the guy out of the church, the deacon body went together to his house, kidnapped that sucker, and took him up in the woods and said, Look, brother, we don't know where you're going with all this, but we're, we're going to walk with you. What are you doing? We're, we're here. And we ain't going anywhere. And did you know, before I moved to New York to go to seminary, I had a lot of debt at, at Baptist Hospital. Uh, like thousands of dollars worth of debt because Vicky had had complications with a pregnancy there. We didn't have insurance and we were poor college kids. And That brother came into my home as I was getting ready to move to New York, like the week of. And he walked into my home, that brother who didn't have a job, and he said, hey, I don't want you to pay another penny on your bill at Baptist East. I'm like, what, how do you even know about my bill at Baptist East? Because I'm over the finance department that has your bill, and I had them absolve your account. So he got a job, and I, I was the beneficiary of that. 
I'm going to tell you, that's the way the church ought to be, side by side with one another. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Bearing others' burdens instigates internal inspection, which compels us to two things. First, personal repentance and sanctification. Second, personal confidence and sanctification. Both of these sanctify. Confessing sanctifies and confidence in our work sanctifies. Galatians 6 verse 4 says, then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Well, wait a second. You just said don't be prideful. Now you're talking about boasting about your own work. What does that mean? Well, there's two different words used here. In verse 3, when it says, if anyone thinks he is something, that means to suppose or to have a personal estimate. One scholar put it like this, the subjective mental estimate or opinion about a matter. So that's a subjective issue, right? What's your favorite song? Subjective issue. We're not talking about how many marbles are in a cup. We're talking about what you think, right? What you think looks good, what you think sounds good. Subjective. But in verse four, when it says reason to boast, it means putting something to the test to show objectively that it is good. That word test is dokimatso. It, it's to test under the scrutiny of God. So the thing being tested is only proved worthy by the test, not simply by subjective personal estimates, but by God's test. And that's a good boasting in the Lord. Amen. 1 Corinthians 3, 13, each one's work will become manifest. <laughs> We're about to see what's in your closet one day, folks. Church, I'm just warning you. We're about to see it. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. That's, the, that's precisely why we need to be testing our own work now before we get to heaven. Right? So contemplation compels believers to test their own work to see if it will stand. It's only after the testing that we have true joy. When we have an honest measurement of what God is doing through us, we have a genuine confidence and joy of, of accomplishment in Christ. Paul's not using boast as like bragging in ourselves, but we're bragging in the just scales of God. I've put my work on the scales of God, and it is good. It is weighed by Him, and it is good. That's confidence, right? It's like the unit price at the supermarket. I don't care how big the bag is. What's the unit price, right? That's the way it, it cuts through all the fluff. What's, it, what's a true representation of the deal I'm getting? In, in 1799, a little kid, named, he was 12 years old, named Conrad Reed, and he was, they say he was skipping Sunday school, to, uh, to go fishing. And he was looking down, little did he know, skipping Sunday school led to the uh, America's first gold rush. He was looking down in a creek. That creek was uh, Little Meadow Creek in North Carolina. And he saw a shiny little rock down there. And his dad got it and used it as a, as a uh, his dad was John Reed. And he took that, that rock, and it was so heavy, shiny, it's pretty. And he used it as a doorstop in their home for three years. Until finally, the dad thought, well, I'll go see what this thing, see if, you know, if there's anything to this. T takes it to a jeweler. The jeweler says, you've got a hunk of gold there, son. Gave him $3.50 for it in 1802. It was worth, turned out, that little doorstop was a 17-pound hunk of gold worth $3,600 at the time. He got one one-hundredth of what it was worth because he didn't know the value of it because he didn't test it himself. Now, here's the good news. 
he, he matter of fact, uh, the in today's money, it's, it's worth three hundred sixty grand. But the good news is, Reed, he may have been bamboozled in his first transaction, but he knew where the gold was. So he went and staked a claim, and in the next two years, he pulled ten million dollars worth of gold out of that hole. Friend, there's great value in testing your work. It tells us the true worth of what we possess in Christ. Church, have you tested your work? Well, you know, coming to church is not a test. I mean, it's good. It's obedience. It's, it is, I guess, one test, you know. You've got to get here to, you know, but you, God's desire is for you to move beyond that. Not for pride's sake, but for value's sake. Not by comparison to me, uh, you know, me comparing myself with another, but comparing myself with myself, right? Knowing the value of my product gives me confidence in the Lord and in the salvation and ministry he's given to me, right? You think you're obeying Christ? Well, why don't you test your work against the plumb line of God's word? You think you're making disciples? Because we're all commanded to make disciples as Christians. That's not just the preacher's job. Well, what is biblical disciple making? What parts of the process am I doing well? What, pro what parts of the process can I do better? What parts am I leaving out altogether? I need to test it. The, the self-testing mindset alone usually alleviates pretentious pride. Doing number two alleviates number one, <laughs> right? So if we're compelled to inspect our sin and our service, we leave little room for pride because we're always testing our work and finding new areas to improve, right? There's no time to sit around and live on past achievements because I'm too busy making advancements in my faith for Christ. No pride there because I'm always moving forward. And I believe the Galatians had been boasting in the work of the Judaizers, but it was untested work, right? It's like seeing a kid in high school or something. Ooh, yeah, man, he's good. It's like listening to a kid sit around in his house and pick the guitar. You're know, like, man, he sounds great. Well, they put him on stage and see if he can make it through a whole song. Test it. Do you really think that Reed would have kept digging for gold if he hadn't tested that rock for purity. If he hadn't stared at that rock one day, sitting over there as a door stops, and you know, there may be some value in that. But I don't want to take it. I mean, no. Too scared to take it down there. May not be worth anything. Take it. It's not a, it's not a bad thing to test your work. Now listen, friends, some of us are digging and digging, and we've never tested our work. Let me tell you something about work that's not tested. Work that's not tested becomes detested. You want to know why people bail out of ministry and volunteering at the church? Because they never tested their work and saw how awesome it was. They just kind of filled a hole. It wasn't really their ministry, you know, just whatever. No heart in it. And so it wasn't tested against the scriptures and against their own heart and the desires and their spiritual gifts. And so they bailed on it. Church, we don't need to be scared of a test. We need to be thankful for it. When we seek to serve others, it helps us see our own sin, test our own work so that we can have tested, legitimate joy. Taste and see the Lord is good. You've got to taste it before you know. You've got to test it before you know too. 
which leads to the final ricochet of restoration. And that's restoration can provoke pretentious pride. Restoration can instigate internal inspection. And third, restoration can prompt personal possession. Wearsby tells the popular, uh, about the popular comic strip uh, Peanuts, where Lucy and Charlie Brown are having a conversation. And Lucy asks Charlie, you know, why, why, are, why are we here on earth? And Charlie looks at her and says, well, we're here to, to make others happy. And so Lucy thinks about it a minute and says, well, then why are the others here, <laughs> right? I guess they weren't making Lucy happy, right? And so she had a jacked up worldview. The world didn't make sense to her under that guise, right? And I just want to say two things about this. Restoration unlocks. Some of you have no spiritual progress in your lives because you've never attempted to bear someone's burden. And because you've never attempted it, You've never been forced to deal with your own spiritual walk and work. And so you have no ownership in your relationship with Christ or in the work, the load, your own load, the personal burden of ministry that God has given to you. But if you will simply obey the command, and this is what I'm looping back to, the burden bearing, you'll unlock the clarity of your own ministry. And I'm not talking about evangelism and discipleship and prayer and church gathering and giving. Those are pretty explicit in Scripture. I'm talking about your neighbors. I can't come and reach all of your neighbors. I can't come and be the, uh, the, the leader, the spiritual leader in your home over your kids and your family. I can't reach the guy in, next to your cubicle. They won't let me in the front door of the security gate. That's your ministry. That's your oikos, your household. Those, the people that you touch in your life. I don't walk into Fisherville Baptist Church and walk up there and pretend to be their pastor. I have my load, my sin, my ministry. And I don't mean that to say, hey, don't get out of your lane. You know, that's not your business. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying I have things I'm responsible for. I'll, I can take on other responsibilities. I'm not scared. I don't use my ministry as a, an excuse to not help you in yours. But it is still mine. It's something I'm responsible for. It's a ministry from God, but it's revealed in simple acts of obedience. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6.5 says, each will have to bear his own burden. Well, which is it? <laughs> you want us to bear it or not? Well, there's two different words again for burden. In verse 2, it's, it means a heavy burden that you, share, you bear for another, you help with. But in verse 5, it describes a soldier's pack. So there's a burden we're to bear for others, but there's a pack on our own back that is our own. We need to take ownership of it. We need to possess the ministry load God has given to us. I think of this one act of obedience in burden bearing like buying a new house. And I'm so proud. We got Frankie and, and Frankie's shower, uh, wedding shower right after church today. So, and I know that Garrett's been fixing up their little home. And, and you're working on your home. You're so proud of your little th three bedroom, two bath house. And I know yours is smaller than that. It's okay. Don't be ashamed. Hey, at least you got one. And, um, and, and you're so proud of it. And you get to working on the floors and you pull up a piece of wood and they're, and there's $100,000 in here. And you're like, hey, babe, did, have we signed on this house? Is this ours? Yeah, babe, this deed's ours. Every, the, every, the house and everything with it. Oh, holy smokes. And then you go and you're, you're cleaning off the mantle. 
and you bump a candelabra thing and, and, the, and the whole fireplace shifts around and there's a whole nother room in there. Like, oh my God, babe, you're not going to believe this. This is the greatest man cave ever, all right? And you just, so what do you do? You just keep cleaning the house. You just keep working on the house and you just become so proud of that house. Boy, it had value before, but man, <laughs> with your diligence in cleaning that house, you found so much more. You unlocked all these other rooms, right? The more you obey, the more you unlock and take ownership of your faith in me. I ain't never selling this house. You know, we're going, we're going upstairs next week, right? We're going to clean out those rooms, see what's in there. One act of obedience can unlock the clarity of your ministry. I meet people all the time that say, I just don't, want, I don't know what my ministry is. I'm going to say, well, when's the last time you tried to carry a burden for another? Because that's the road to it. You know, we had people, when I was a student pastor in Virginia, we had people come into the, hey, I want to be a teacher in the youth group. I said, well, that's great. Why don't you start in the kitchen, get to know the student? Well, yeah, it's not my, it's really not my heart. I was like, well, then neither is teaching. <laughs> you can't mop a floor, you ain't going to be working with these students, right? And so there, there's, there's this filtering process in our life where God can turn a grain of mustard seed, faithful in small things, and he can unlock and, and release. Restoration unlocks, it also unleashes. And this is really, it just unleashes fruitfulness in our lives, right? When we take ownership, it becomes its, its own burden in our life. And when we have to bear up under a burden, we get strengthened in our work. It makes us fruitful. It gives us a greater joy. It's just like being in a workout room. The more you push yourself, the bigger those muscles get. And it's the same way in ministry. Paul had just mentioned the fruit, all these fruits of the Spirit. And now he's given these practical applications. And I think one of them was the faithfulness to our own ministry. There's a pack on our back, not just the pack that we help carry. Right. I, I was reading this week about apples. You know, apples, they have all these health benefits. Right. And um, apples are, are rich. And that was me rebuking my son. And apples are rich in, in all these various fibers and stuff. They manage our blood sugar levels. They promote good digestion, gut health, all this stuff. Vitamin C, polyphenols. Anybody know what a polyphenol is? I have no idea, but apparently it's a disease-fighting compound found in plants. And, it's, and by the way, your mama's right. It's found right under the skin of an apple, right? So you got to eat the peeling too. You got to eat the whole apple to unlock all its benefits. And some of you haven't unlocked your ministry. And you're not, you're just not, you don't see any fruit because you've not served anywhere. And you're like, you're, you're, you're panning and digging in a dry stream. And you need to go bear someone's burden and see what that opens up in your life. And it all begins with one act of obedience. All right? Find someone's burden to bear. Go help them. I'm not worthy. No. Well, you'll never be worthy. <laughs> I wouldn't be preaching up here if I thought I was worthy in myself, in my own efforts. God help us. Would you stand? Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we ask that if there's anyone here today that does not know you, they would understand the grace of God that there are things to unlock when we just step forward in faith. Uh, Lord, I've been talking about people in ministry opening up things, but Lord, if we don't know you at all, we've never called on your name, then our first step is to, is to unlock our own, the faith in our own hearts in your son Jesus and his death on the cross, his resurrection. And if you believe in that, you believe in the story, the biblical story of Jesus and what he's done for you and that he's your only hope for salvation, forgiveness, and redemption. 
out to him right now. You don't have to have some perfect word. Cry out to him in your heart. Say, God, I trust you. I believe. And he'll save you and he'll redeem you and he'll give you eternal life. And he'll help sanctify you for the rest of your life. And he'll help you one day bear others' burdens. And I pray for our own church, Lord, people in here that may need to just confess sins, people that haven't tested their work and they need to go home and, and take a little test and, and, and have a heart check about their own sin or their own lack of service. God, I know there are people here today that may want to make this church body their home and they want to get to work in the, in the body of Christ, in the local church. And I pray they'd come to do that today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.